0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, The Ten Commandments, with a message from Dr. Newfeld called The Thankless or Thankful Heart. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: Today, I've come to the 10th of the Ten Commandments, found in Exodus 20 verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, on a popular level, to covet something is to yearn or desire or crave to possess something. And the key issue, at least for a great many people, is the issue of desire. If you know anything about Buddhism, Buddhism teaches that desire is the beginning of all suffering. Get rid of desire, says Buddhism, and you get rid of suffering. That's that's a fascinating perspective. But is it true? Well, on the one hand, we might argue that a great deal of desire does lead to suffering. I mean, think about what James says in James 4, verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Indeed, a great many crimes human beings perpetrate on others is because of a desire to have what they want. But is this true about all desire? So let's talk about desire. You know, it's been said that a great many of the advancement that humanity has achieved has come about out of desire and to have something we presently don't have. A capitalist system of economics is based on desire. The advertising industry both creates desire and then seeks to fulfill it. When I was in university, I was a psychology major, and I still remember the time when I discovered Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The basic needs, said Maslow, are survival needs, but once those needs are met or are satisfied, we aren't satisfied. You know, we, says Maslow, simply move up to the next item in an ascending hierarchy of needs. It's all based on desire. Now, Maslow does say that the desire for self-actualization is the ultimate desire, but let's not speak of that today. Well, let's get back to desire. Desire is not just felt by individuals. Nations desire what another nation has. Yeah, they might go to war, but they might not. It can lead to something very positive, if you think about it. If one nation invents a motor car, soon all nations want that as well. That can lead them to trade or to a technology revolution in the advancement of their nation. Or if one nation invents ways of growing food that supplies an abundance, soon other nations want that technology for themselves. If a nation realizes a neighboring nation has a higher standard of living, they might want that as well, have that same standard of living. Listen, all of this is based on desire. And furthermore, it's fed by the desire to want what your neighbor has. You know, I think it can be argued that this kind of desire has sometimes elevated the human race. Desire for what others have is, is the engine that drives a great many things, both good and evil, when you think about it. Health care, food supply, living standards, all these are good things. But an escalation in weapons. In unethical business and trade practices, all manner of things that lead to war are also fed by wanting what our neighbor has. Now, having stated that, let's consider this from another perspective. Desire can lead to a dissatisfied heart. So think about it. We in the Western world now live in a culture that has a lifestyle far above what was enjoyed by kings and queens in a bygone era. We have central heating. Many homes have central air conditioning. We have large windows that flood rooms with light, brought in through glass that is crystal clear. We have chariots that move us down the street that beggars what Pharaoh had. You know, Pharaoh could die of appendicitis. I, on the other hand, am covered by a health care plan in which appendicitis is cured by very routine surgery. I'm better off than Pharaoh, except, of course, that I can't conquer kingdoms. But here's a surprising outcome of so much wealth and riches. Most of us are not satisfied. We complain. I might have a better house than Pharaoh, but I don't have a better one than the man that lives five blocks over from me. Desire is never satisfied. Proverbs 27 verse 20 says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied and never satisfied are the eyes of man. That's to say, just like the grave that is never satisfied with the number of the dead, so also are the things that we want. John D. Rockefeller, in his day, the the richest man in the earth, was once asked, how much money is enough? And he responded by saying, just a little bit more. Now, I'm saying all of this to provoke us to think deeply. The Tenth Commandment tells us not to covet, but what can that mean? Surely, if all that coveting is is desiring what we don't have, I might argue that in many cases, there's nothing wrong with that. So, let me start with a basic statement. Unlike Buddhism, the Bible does not teach that all desire is wrong. In fact, the Bible is filled with verses that, that literally appeal to desire. As an example, listen to Deuteronomy 28, verses 2 to 6. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. So what have we just read? Well, in going to the promised land, God is promising his people a land that that flows with milk and honey, where, where abundance is overflowing and where each of them can own their own parcel of land and enjoy riches and abundance and even in excess. What is that? Well, it's an appeal to desire. Obey God. Trust God. Don't deviate from following him. He has the ability to give. Do you want other examples of what I might call sanctified desire? Listen in the Song of Solomon as the the bride confesses her desire for her new husband. Chapter 1 verse 2 says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. And that bride is not ashamed to express sexual desire for her husband. That kind of desire is good. It's a reason for the couple to celebrate. Or read 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. It says, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Wow, the overseer, the elder, is the teacher of God's people, the the one who declares God's word. You know, in the New Testament, elder and pastor are used simultaneously. Do you want to be that person, that person who teaches and leads God's people? Is that your desire? And if it is, says the Bible, it's good. Now, of course, not everyone is given that right. They're all manner of qualifications, but the desire itself is not unhealthy, says the Scripture. And then there's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Indeed, the passage even encourages desiring certain gifts that we might not now have. Now, it is also true that, that God gives the gifts as he wills, And we must content ourselves with what he knows is best for our lives. But the desire to have a spiritual gift is not wrong. I know it can become wrong, but it can be pure and holy and good. There are holy and there are unholy desires. A great many of us have been troubled by Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, how can that be true? You know, I mean, what if I desire my neighbor's ox or his donkey or his servant or even his wife? Is God going to give me that? Well, I think not, but I do like Augustine's maxim. He said, love the Lord with all your heart and then do whatever you please. Now, he said this about finding the will of God in our lives, but I think this can also be applied to asking God to give us that which we desire. Love God with all your heart, delight in God, Find God to be your highest joy. Want nothing more than to dwell in his courts forever. May God fill your imagination and your greatest soul's longings. And from this kind of heart, go ahead, ask him. Ask him anything and it will be given. What does your heart desire? God says, go ahead and ask. But let me put this the other way around. Let's assume for a moment that our desires are set on futile things. Anyone who looks at his neighbor's ox or his servant or his wife and is consumed with desire for that, well, that already showcases an impurity of what is desired. So putting it all together, however we read the 10th command, it is certainly not a command against desiring. Desire can be good or bad depending upon the object of what you desire. There's a world of difference between the man who feels desire towards his neighbor's wife and the man who sees his neighbor's relationship with his wife and is inspired to create just such a relationship with his own wife. And so what can we say about the 10th command? What does it actually mean? I think we can say that the 10th command is a command against subverted desire.
0: You know, some things don't mix. Oil and water, plaids and polka dots. It's not that these couplings never occur, but our minds don't really readily pair them. The same holds true with our pains and joys, both expected, but we rarely consider them as simultaneous. But God adjusts our thinking. The Bible reminds us that joy can be found in trials and our tears can be turned into laughter. It's not instant or self-generating, but a matter of God's grace working within us. Like gold refined in fire, joy can be found in the midst of struggle. So to encourage you as our free gift this month, we wanna send you a combo CD series from Back to the Bible Canada and Laugh Again called Joy in Tough Times. Five messages from Dr. John and five joy-filled Laugh Again episodes. Joy in Tough Times, our free gift to you, just for calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Desire was created by God. It's essential to our humanity. It's from this essential part of our humanity that we feel the desire for God. It's desire that led David to pray in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's desire. It's a desire to know God. But our desire can also be a desire that our sins should be forgiven. After his sin with Bathsheba and the guilt that followed, David writes in Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. See, that is the language of desire. But please understand that this same David knew the opposite side of desire. I mean, the reason why David wrote Psalm 51 is because in the spring of the year, when the the kings go out to war, David was left alone on his rooftop. And from there, he looked over, saw a beautiful woman bathing herself on her rooftop. And in an instant, he's seized by a desire to have his neighbor's wife. And that is called coveting. And so the verb to covet refers to a very specific kind of desire. The Tyndale Bible Dictionary says that it is the desire to have something for oneself that rightfully belongs to another. And that, I think, gets at it perfectly. There are numerous biblical examples of just such a thing. For instance, in Micah 2, verse 2, speaking about the wicked, Micah says, They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance." And in the previous verse, that is in Micah 2 verse 1, Micah tells us why they did it. The verse simply says, because it was in the power of their hand. That is, they had the ability to act on their desire. The laws were so twisted that the rich could have their way with the poor. But that's just the issue. The only reason the law was subverted in the first place is because of covetousness, the desire to have that which rightfully belongs to another. Now, armed with our definition of covetousness, that is, to covet is to long for that which belongs to another. See, when we think about it, please notice that this last, the 10th commandment, gives us a picture of the reason why we break the other nine. Jesus spoke about that very thing. Listen to what he said in Matthew 5, 27 to 28. He said, "'You have heard it said, "'You shall not commit adultery.'" But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see what Jesus did? He combined the seventh with the 10th commandment. That's because Jesus knew that a great many of the 10 commandments are external. They're observable. See, we can see it when a person commits adultery, but what leads that person to break God's law well, that's the breaking of another internal law. It's a law that can't be seen. It's a law that happens in the unseen world of desire. And Jesus also knew that it is the breaking of the 10th command that leads us to break the other nine. Let me give you an example of that. I'm reading 1 Kings 21, 1 3. Now, Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. See, here's the issue. The land in ancient Israel was divided out according to tribal allotments, and no parcel of land was to pass from one tribe to another. According to the law of God, Naboth's land belonged to him and to his family after him. God demanded that there be no poor in Israel, and so the land, even if it was lost, could be regained in the year of jubilee. And Ahab, and remember, he was the king, wanted land that was near his house, and Naboth was never going to sell that land. And so, what does the king do? Well, inspired by his wife, he gets some worthless men to make a charge that Naboth had cursed God, that he had violated the third commandment, and that, of course, was a lie. But in order to perpetuate that lie, the king of Israel had to break the ninth commandment, not to bear false witness against his neighbor. And more so, the king of Israel was willing to break the sixth commandment, not to murder And why were all these commandments broken? Well, the motivation for breaking all of the other commands of God is because the 10th command was broken first. The king of Israel coveted after that which was not rightfully his. He wanted that which belonged to another. And it's that kind of desire, it's that specific kind of desire, which makes us into enemies of God. The reason why the 10th command is placed last is that this command shows us the state of our heart. Having loved things that are unholy, in a place where we nurture that love, unseen to others, we move to the next, to the breaking of the ninth, and so forth. Look again at the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Notice that in each example, the house, the wife, the servant, the ox, the donkey, in each case, it is the desire to want something that does not belong to you. If you were to get that which you desire, it would mean that you would get it at the expense of your neighbor, but you would also get it by breaking the commands of God. So let's for a moment go through the other nine commandments the first. You shall have no other gods other than the Lord. But you might notice that, well, some of the gods of the nations around you are so easily manipulated. You might also notice that the Lord is a consuming fire, a God who does not leave the guilty unpunished, a God whose ways are righteous, a God who is not morally compromised, unlike the gods around you. That's why in Joshua 24 verse 15, Joshua says to the community of Israel, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable, he says, undesirable to you. That is, serving the living God is not like serving the gods of the Amorites. Well, if that's the case, then make your choice. Choose whom you will serve. See, we break the first command because we want that which is not rightfully ours. The same with the second command. The nations around us do have gods of wood and stone. Why not have the same? And the third command, do not take the name of the Lord in vain, is broken because it is to our advantage to devise oaths that allow us to cheat our neighbor by falsely taking oaths in the name of the Lord. And the fourth command, to remember the Sabbath, is so quickly broken because we desire the money we might have if we break that oath. All the nine are broken because the tenth has already been broken in our hearts. So, what is the solution? How do we observe the 10th commandment? Listen to the words of Hebrews 134 to six. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Would you notice that in Hebrews, another New Testament passage that deals with the Ten Commandments, we have a reference to two commands, the seventh command and the eighth. These are the laws against adultery and against theft. But what is the way of defeating these temptations? Well, I'm going to say in two ways. First, be content with what you have, says the writer of Hebrews. And second, have faith. The Lord is your helper. He's given you all you need. Trust in him. The 10th commandment, then, is the command that we develop a heartfelt attitude of gratefulness to God for the things that he has graciously given us. Do you want to be free from the temptation of adultery? Then find delight in God's gift to you, of your husband or your wife. Thank God for your spouse and gain a proper perspective, for your spouse is God's loving gift to you. Give thanks for him or for her all the day, find delight in him or her. Same's true in coveting your neighbor's property. I could become deeply content in what I have. I could begin to revel in the gifts and the abilities that God has given me and rejoice that he has given me the ability to make a living and rejoice that I who live in this century am better off than Pharaoh of old. And so whenever we covet we should immediately know that there is something wrong with our spiritual condition. Coveting is a signal in your soul that we do not delight in the Lord. Instead, by the Holy Spirit, delight yourself in the Lord and you will not covet.
0: John, thanks so much for your message today. Uh, A quick question, I think, just about this whole idea of coveting uh, being what you refer to as sort of the, the first uh, temptation. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, because coveting is something that happens internally. I mean, it, you, you shall not steal. Well, that happens externally. You can tell if a person's stealing or not. But, you know, it's what happens inside the heart that leads to the breaking of the other commandments. Um, so, we covet what someone else has. We can't get it. So, you know, eventually, uh, what's happening in the inside is working its way out. So, I do think that coveting is the first sin which leads to the breaking of all the others.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us tomorrow as we have our concluding message in the series The Ten Commandments right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. every day we hear from listeners from right across the country, and your words of encouragement mean so much. Sean recently wrote, I often listen to Dr. John's Bible teaching while driving to work. It's given me great insights into God's message to His people. Back to the Bible Canada is indeed an inspiration. But oh, we're so grateful for messages just like these, but they only happen because of your partnership. In making Bible teaching you can trust available to as many people, in as many places, in as many ways as possible. One way we want to do that this month is by sending you our very new free combo CD series called Joy in Tough Times. Five messages from Dr. John and five Laugh Again episodes to encourage you and to remind you of where confident joy is really found. So just call us today for your free copy of Joy in Tough Times by calling 1-800-663-2425 or by visiting backtothebible.ca.